Well, hello and welcome to episode 175 of The Call Room. Hard to believe we're at number 175. Actually, I guess we're going to have to start to plan our 200th episode party sometime soon. We might even be getting towards that by the end of the year. It might all fit together nicely. Um, I digress already, and I'm here by myself. It's David Griffiths, your host of The Cool Room here, uh, welcoming you to this episode. It should be really good fun. We've got some great things lined up for you. Uh, you might have seen that we're playing with the format a little bit. So uh, today we've got the first half of the recording of our live show with Urban Alley. That'll be coming up at the end of the episode. Uh, and before that, we're chatting with some more breweries as part of our lead-up to Good Beer Week here in Melbourne. Uh, we're going to be joined by Deeds. Uh, have a chat with uh, Curtis. It's his first time on the show as part of Deeds. Uh, and Kumar, who is a long-standing friend uh, of the podcast, uh, getting all of the information about what they'll be bringing to the Hair of the Dog Breakfast other events that they're hosting, uh, and just a bit of behind-the-scenes gossip about what's happening out at Deeds uh, in particular, what's coming out of their distillery, which is a bit of a, uh, a news flash for us. Uh, we'll be then chatting to Hugo from a local brewing company out in Clifton Hill, uh, a great bloke and a really fun, interesting brewery. Uh, and finishing off today uh, in terms of the Good Beer Week part of the show uh, with Sam from Hop Nation talking about everything Hop Nation, both in terms of Good Beer Week and other things that they've got ticking along at the moment. Uh, so stay tuned for all of those. Do stay tuned for Urban Alley. And remember that you can grab the beers for Urban Alley and some of our forthcoming Zoom online masterclasses by going to our Shopify store. Great way to support the podcast if you're keen to support us. Uh, doing that is really good, as, of course, is following us on Instagram, following us on Facebook, and uh, subscribing to the podcast so that you can net make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, as part of the shake-up of things that we've got going on at the moment, uh, I thought we'd start to introduce a bit of a news segment and really looking for some friends out there who would like to come on the show, literally just for five or ten minutes over Zoom, pretty leisurely sort of thing, uh, having harvested some fun news stories about beer, particularly in Australia, but also from around the world, uh, I thought I'd just give that shout-out on the podcast itself rather than putting it on our socials. Uh, so if you're keen, send us an email to callroompodcast, or one word, at gmail.com, uh, and let us know, and we can hook up with a few little roving reporters. I'm sure we can find some beers to say thank you for your efforts uh, and help just to make the, uh, the podcast a little more rounded. Uh, in terms of other little bits of things to say thank you for before we get underway with the show, uh, I really want to do a big, big thank you to everyone who has bought the Black Box. Uh, that's our collaboration with Carwin Sellers. Uh, we've got literally only a couple tucked away, uh, and this might be one of the most exciting packs of beer that we've ever been part of. Uh, really encourage you, if you haven't grabbed it already, to do so. It's going to be the part of... Four podcasts that we do in July. Uh, so there are 12 beers in the box. Uh, we have three brewers per podcast. 
Look, I know people don't tune into podcasts to listen to people read out lists, but just listen to this list uh, of brewers that are participating. It's the who's who of Australian brewers. Uh, We've got Fox Friday, Boat Rocker, Dangerous Ales, our old mate Slow Lane uh, from Sydney. We've got Bright, Spotty Dog, King River. Been a while since we've had them on the show. Looking forward to having them back. Three Ravens, Goodland, Deeds. We don't even talk about the uh, black box with Deeds today, just so that we can have extra things to talk about uh, when they come on the show. Uh, Banks, some of our best-rated uh, podcasts ever have been with Banks, and, of course, Hawkers. So, look, absolutely do yourself a favour. Go and grab that from our online store while the chance is there. Big, fun, dark beers, perfect for midwinter uh, in Australia, and um, I really hope you can support us by grabbing those packs. Look, really briefly as well, uh, obviously part of what we're doing today in these podcasts is promoting the Hair of the Dog Breakfast uh, at Beer Deluxe. Uh, you'll hear plenty more about that as we go along, but what you may not hear as much about is the fact that one week after that, uh, at the end of May, we're back to Beer Deluxe because Steve Grossman from Sierra Nevada is in Melbourne for one day only. Uh, check out the Beer Deluxe website for tickets to that. Uh, check out our socials, obviously, we'll be telling that story and wide, um, really cheap to get in, really accessible beers uh, and an opportunity that you just don't get in Australia very often. So come along and join us live in the flesh at Beer Deluxe uh, for our little Sierra Nevada evening. Uh, I think it's about $30, $35 to get in the door. Great value stuff. Okie dokie, look, let's get underway with some of these interviews that we've got. Let's get underway with a great discussion with our friends from Deeds. Well, here we are. It's the third of our Good Beer Week Super Special Spectaculars. I think I'm adding an S word every time I introduce these. Uh, And it's fantastic to have a very good friend of the podcast returning. Uh, We're having deeds brewing on today. If you want to hear the full deeds story, go back and listen to, well, heaps of episodes that we've recorded in the past. I think it's 50, episode 55, episode 97 or something. Just check the archives and you will hear the dulcet tones of Kumar from Deeds in many, many episodes. Good afternoon, Kumar. How are you today, my friend? I'm very good, thanks, Dave. How are you? Excellently well, mate. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We go back a long, long way. People can research the um, the uh, the archives for that, but you're a busy bloke. You're always a busy bloke at Deeds, and now you're a busy bloke in the rest of your life as well. Yeah, um, I've just, just recently become a dad to a little girl, which is very exciting. Um, to a human girl, not just a puppy anymore, but a yes. real live human. <laughs> yeah, now I've got uh, two children, my my seeing eye dog in training and uh, my daughter. So, yeah, no, things are going very well at the Kumar house. That is good to hear, and um, we'll get on to what you're excited about in Good Beer Week at the moment. Things are good at the Kumar house. They're also good, and there's been some change out at the House of Deeds. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, so uh, we've got some very exciting stuff coming on, but... Uh, one of the very, very exciting things is that um, we've got our new brewer in charge, Kurt, um, here with us today. Hey, how's it going? Good to meet you, Kurt. What? Yeah, Kurt, what Kimo, you give us the Kurt in- introduction and you can you can kick him off by getting to tell him a bit about our, his past and how he comes to be at Deeds. Yeah, so um, Kurt is our legendary 
uh, Brewer in charge, and I'll let him take the floor from there. Ah, well, legendary my ass. I've only been in the country for about two <laughs> years, although I've been brewing for about 10 years back in Vancouver. Uh, it's my partner who brought me over here, and I've been working with Deeds for about a year and a half. And as you know, uh, Ned and Justin have left this past year. Don't worry. They're completely safe. Don't worry about them. They're don't ask questions, but they're good. They're doing fine. They're not in a vat somewhere at the back. Or oh, uh, we definitely don't have enough caustic to dissolve a body on premises. We're, we're totally fine. <laughs> well, not anymore, you don't. No, well, we can't use that stuff anymore. But yeah, uh, I've taken over the head brewer position as of, uh, I guess, over a month ago now. And uh, that's pretty much encompassed pretty much all the beers that we're putting out for Gabs and all the events associated with it. And yeah, it's a... Uh, non-stop at the moment. Now, I'm sure we'll get you on very soon for a proper full-length interview, but tell us the, tell us the Kurt story in terms of how you got into brewing, what, where did you brew in Vancouver, is there anywhere good in Melbourne to get poutine? These are the important questions <laughs> you talk to Canadians about. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I started brewing when I was 21, and uh, it was just, I got into it because I was disillusioned with a law degree, essentially. Uh, I came back for a wedding, just started bottling, and uh, stuck around at that place. It was called um, Old Abbey Ale. I stuck around there for about eight months, and just the high turnover at those new breweries, starting off with like the craft beer boom back in Vancouver. I ended up being the uh, essentially general manager at the age of 21 of that place. I uh, threw that on my resume because I saw the place was um, in a state. And I uh, applied for a brewing position somewhere in the city. And from there, I started working at a place called Off the Rail. And I worked there for about, I guess, yeah, close to seven years before moving to Australia with my partner. Uh, that was in the heat of COVID. So I did the whole hotel quarantine thing and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I was getting offers at becoming a head brewer back in Vancouver. But I was just, I don't want to start a brewery in the middle of COVID. So I moved over here and, you know, everything was fine, went into lockdown and uh, started working actually at Brick Lane when I first landed here. Uh, I used my contacts there to get in touch with Justin and Ned and uh, started working at Deeds. Awesome. Now, I'm going to say something that makes you know, it will be a little bit confusing for some listeners, but your squeaky toy there, Kurt, I'll get you to put down, where you're used to having uh, as in your water bottle. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. We're, we normally, we've been... Um, having the dogs of Melbourne breweries on lately, and I just didn't want anyone to think that it was Kumar's dog <laughs> under the table attacking a squeaky toy. Um, what has Kumar told you? I mean, you've obviously seen bits of Good Beer Week perhaps in the past, but this is your first probably real full-on Good Beer Week while you've been in Melbourne, am I right in saying? Uh, no, I went to a couple, but they've always had the specter of COVID. I guess this is the first one that I have to go to and be presentable, though. So, yeah, usually I'm a little more cut than I'm going to be this year, but... Well, you're going to be clean cut. You're going to be uh, performing well. You're going to be joining us, well, for a number of events. But let's kick off with a discussion about the the absolute pinnacle of Good Beer Week, the hair of the dog breakfast at Beer Deluxe. Tickets still available through the Good Beer Week website. Um, what beers, gentlemen, do you have lined up for the Good Beer Week hair of the dog breakfast? So we've got uh, two beers. They've both come out in the last month. So... Uh, they're pretty damn fresh. Uh, we've got Bigger on the Inside, uh, and the name is an homage to uh, everyone's favourite doctor. Uh, <laughs> and we've also got Red... So, sorry, Bigger on the Inside is an ESB, 
Uh, and then we've also got Red Flag, which is an American red IPA. And I'll let Kurt talk a little to the beers themselves. Yeah, please. Well, uh, beer on the inside, we had at that point three different English brewers and we just sort of had to take advantage of it. Also, we're trying to move away at the moment with the, you know, the weather uh, cooling off and whatnot. We want to move into a way that we can make a more complex beer, but not just, you know, under attenuate it and throw a bunch of hops at it. So we decided that, well, we use the expertise of the English people we got on hand and try and make like a a classic English style and I think it turned out very, very well. It's very uh, complex as far as malt's concerned. Definitely not traditional, traditional, but the way it tastes, I'd say it's a, uh, it's bang on for the stuff. Um, that and sounds, sounds like a perfect beer to be drinking in autumn, into the lead, into winter. Uh, these are the styles of beers we often discuss here, you know, and that, for that matter, the red will be as well. I'm sure, just perfect time of year for them. Yeah, and as far as the red is, it's uh, not actually a red IPA. It's more of an American red. So once again, it's much more malt forward. We're uh, really playing around here with uh, the sort of complexities that you can get out of malt as opposed to hops, because hops are quite expensive. And we're also trying to lower the cost of our beer due to the, obviously, well, the cost of living prices right now. Uh, More expensive beers don't move as quick. And so what we're trying to do is just uh, lower the cost of our beer, but still maintaining the complexity that you would expect from us. Um, it's an interesting point you pick up on there without wanting to sound like the federal treasurer. Obviously, we are going through a cost of living crisis at the moment. Uh, I noticed, and perhaps, Kumo, you could give us a bit of comment on the change of size and format for some of the beers, which I, I've noticed lately. Is that linked to those things or more just to how many standard drinks people want in a, in a can at the moment? Yeah, so um, I'm guessing the one that you're referring to is the survivor type in the 375 mil cans as opposed to the 440s. One of my all-time favourite Deeds beers. Yeah, and look, honestly, I think this year, um, obviously, there's the recency effect, um, but I, I genuinely think that the this year's Spider Type is one of the best damn beers we've ever done. But, um, yeah, in regards to moving it to 375 mils over 440, um, obviously, when a, I think, from memory, it was like four and four and change standard, or three and 3.7 standard drinks in a 440 mil can, um, I think when it's, uh, when you're looking at that, it's a lot of standard drinks in a single can, whereas we're hoping that, you know, in the 375s, uh, maybe it's a little bit more feasible for one person to enjoy it themselves and not feel incredibly irresponsible. Uh, but then also, <laughs> uh, one of the nice things about being an independent brewer, um, being at the size that we're at is that, you know, sometimes we, we've got a theory and we have the scope to try it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's one of our, our very popular beers. Um, if we get the, the response back from trade that, hey, the 375s work really, really well, um, then it's potentially something we can look at doing more of in the future. If people still prefer the 440s because they like the, the feeling that, you know, it's, it's something quite different from their everyday core beer stuff, um, then, you know, we, we've got the scope. We're not sort of fully locked into it. Um, but I think it was a really good one to have a crack with. So we're still waiting on the, the full feedback, but I suppose you'll know the outcome if you see a lot more of our stuff coming out in 375s. Yeah, I'm fascinated uh, Fascinated to see how that goes. So we'll certainly touch base again in the future about, about that. 
Um, we've got the hair of the dog breakfast, as I say, at the pinnacle of the events. I know you guys are involved in the terminus one night keg stand. We've discussed that with heaps and heaps of brewers already. So just check out the Good Beer Week website if you want to know more about that. I'm skipping over that because you've got three other events that you're doing as part of Good Beer Week. You boys are going to be absolutely exhausted by the end of it. Let's go through them in, in order. First of all, on Saturday, the 20th of May, at Boilermaker House, you've got Boiler's House of Deeds. Yeah, so we've actually, um, uh, I don't know how what the official uh, write-up is, but essentially we've got, uh, it's a Deeds home away from home. Um, so Boilermaker House will be the CBD hub for, uh, for our beers. We'll have a full tap takeover with some pretty cool stuff, a couple of bits and pieces that have been pulled from fairly deep in the cellar, um, as well as some classics. Uh, we've got all sorts of things going on. There's uh, different things almost every night. There'll be a, um, a full uh, menu pairing, uh, like food pairing with every single beer that we've got on. Um, chef's working hard on that at the moment. Uh, we've got music events. We've got wings and tins. We've got all sorts of fun stuff. So basically, if you're free and around the city at any point during Good Beer Week, um, it's a good time to pop into uh, Boilermaker House. And pretty clearly in, in that week, we've discussed with other breweries what they've got on in that little CBD part of the uh, of Melbourne. And I'm not speaking as a Melbourne City Councillor here, but sure, I am. If you're in the CBD, you really don't need to leave because there's so many different venues offering every day something a bit different for Good Beer Week. Uh, that one sounds like a ripper to get along to. Um, out in your tap room on Tuesday the 23rd of May, Great Deeds Bake Off. I've got to say this sounds a bit like an event I ran many moons ago with you, Kumar, at the Royal Mail Hotel for our first birthday, but we're talking dessert and Deeds beers. Um, a great combination, as I can attest to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kurt, are you pretty across this or do you want me to talk to it? Uh, for which one's this? This for is the, the Bake Off. Oh, for the Bake Off. Uh, actually, I'm not that across it. I know that we have a couple people from, uh, is it Triple M? Yeah. It's entered? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, what it is, from what I understand. It's a competition to see who can make the best baked good using our beer. Now, a lot of our beer, obviously, it's very, very sweet to begin with. It uh, starts at high gravity and, uh, you know, it certainly retains quite a bit of that gravity by the time it's done. So it does lend itself quite well to baking with, I guess. And from what I've tried so far, it, people are doing some pretty cool stuff with it. Uh, actually, one of our uh, employees who works up in the office here, she brought by some squares the other day. It was a peanut butter um, cheesecake, and then she used her peanut butter um, stout to create a certain jelly on top. It didn't look right, but, oh, my God, did it taste good. Like, I mean, no, it looked pretty, but, like, it wasn't – it was just like, you know, you don't expect jelly on top of cheesecake, but, oh, she made it work. It was really good. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the winner of the competition will be brewing a beer with us, and uh, – yeah, I guess working with me to uh, develop a recipe to try and figure out uh, a way to turn what dessert they made into a beer. I've got to say, that's a pretty amazing prize. Uh, so for anyone who's not already out there cooking, again, I think the details are on the Good Beer Week website. Uh, and $39 sounds like great value to get out there and get into the tap room. What things are you both enjoying that's on tap at the tap room at the moment? We haven't really sort of mentioned that, so... We should say, what's on tap? And you, how many taps have you got out there? 30? Or am I making that up a bit? I think it's close to 24. Yeah, 24, I think. I think. 
I mean, it feels like 30 you, by the time you've made your way through. if you count the zero money. and the seltzers. Well, no, that's not if you don't count those. We have an amount. <laughs> a good, a good, healthy amount. Yeah. A very good, healthy amount. Which which ones are you both enjoying on tap at the moment? What's absolutely cherry ripe? Oh, the ESP, in my opinion. I am all about that ESP right now. Um, I'm drinking the red off the tank right now. So <laughs> that one's quite good as well. Um, let's see. Oh, I don't know. I'm drinking everything off tank. I just... As soon as it's as soon as it's out of the cellar, I stop to worry about it so much. But uh, yeah, everything right now I'm drinking off tank. Well, that's probably the kind of treat you could get if you win the prize for the uh, Great Deeds Bake Off. You might be able to get out into the uh, into the tank farm there with uh, Kurt and be able to enjoy some of the beers that way. Pretty amazing experience. Pretty Reason amazing. The juice prize. with Kurt is <laughs> the prize for the uh, for the winner. Oh, I'll um, show you around. <laughs> um, uh, also, the the High Street Stout, um, which is on tap at the moment, um, but also we've just released as sort of our core. Um, I think it's our first foray into into a core range stout. Um, yeah, I can't remember one in the past. So. Yeah, so uh, which is very very exciting. It actually started off as a, a tap room exclusive, um, but it got really really good feedback, and we sort of uh, there was a couple of venues who needed a um, an easy straight up and down stout. Uh, so a couple of those kegs ended up making their way out into trade to very, very good feedback. Um, so we've decided that we'll do another keg run. We'll put some in cans this time as well. Um, so that's just started going out. And honestly, it's, it's just so lovely. It's just such a nice, easy stout. Um, and while I absolutely adore my pastry stouts, um, it is sometimes nice to just have a clean 5% pretty dry, easy stout. Well, that sounds pretty magic. Uh, check out the Good Beer Week website for the Great Deeds Bake Off. The idea of roaming canapes, uh, which is mentioned on the site there, I've got to say roaming canapes sounds so much better than roaming Brian Taylor. So let's, let's move along to the, the last of the events as far as I can tell from the Good Beer Week uh, website. This looks like it could be over the top. Henry Sugar and Deeds Brewing, uh, that's going to be on Thursday the 25th of May. Uh, tickets are on sale now. What can you tell us about what's going to be happening there? So I believe that that is a very, very carefully curated um, beer and food degustation experience. Um, the Northside rep, uh, Beth Campbell, who does an incredible job, she's been coordinating that one and she's absolutely stoked for it. So I can't wait to uh, to try some of the things that they come up with because, yeah, it's they've been putting a lot of work into it, a lot of work. I think we we organised samples to get out to the the chefs so they could start working on the um, on the pairing a little while ago, actually. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really incredible one. It's uh, it should be fantastic. By the sounds of it, it's a five course uh, vegetarian tasting menu. Uh, it has unreleased wild delights. From Melbourne's poster child, Deeds Brewing. That's you guys. Unreleased wild delights. Uh, that sounds pretty magic. Uh, yep, that's uh, we've got something. We've got a couple of cool things on the horizon. And uh, the nice thing about some of those things is that you can uh, you can get into them before they're necessarily ready for release. We'll say. Um, but actually, that's probably. Um, there's, there's something else that I wanted to mention, and that's probably a pretty good segue into it. Um, 
is that we are actually very, very close to releasing something that we've been working on for probably the last five years or so. Um, we will. Yes. Is this, very... our, is this our 12.33 p.m. scoop? Normally, we have to wait until 9 o'clock at night to get scoops out of our visiting uh, <laughs> friends. But Yes. Yeah. No, this is our 12.33 p.m. scoop. Um, we are actually on the precipice of launching future-proof distilling. Um, we'll have the Black uh, black Flank single malt whiskey coming out and the Greater Glider uh, gin coming out. Um, so, the yeah, the Black Flank single malt whiskey is something that has been worked on for a very, very long time. We've been really, really excited to kick off our own whiskey program and this is finally seeing the launch of it. Um, obviously, there's a, there's not heaps of Victorian whiskies, but there's a couple. So, you know, to really cut through the market, you need a good a good marketing shtick. And I'm very, very, very pleased um, that uh, essentially we are partnering with WIRES, uh, which is an organisation that helps uh, protect endangered Australian wildlife. Uh, and $2 from every bottle sold will go towards uh, protecting native Australian fauna, which is very, very exciting. That sounds fantastic, mate. We know that you've been working away at that project. I genuinely uh, I keep on plugging the uh, the shows in the archives, but I think we've had a few little hints at that along the way, particularly about the same time that you guys and Hop Nation were on the podcast at the same time of the year. Uh, you were both sort of working on some fun things and, and great to see that that's come to fruition. Great to hear that you've managed to um, pair up with a really worthy cause out of that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked. I'm so, so excited. I'm sure you can hear my voice, but uh, I cannot wait to start blogging this. We can hear it in your voice, and we uh, we love the fact that, uh, Kumar, you in particular, but Deeds in general, bring such enthusiasm to everything that you do. Um, it's going to be great to be joining you at breakfast time because you have the energy at breakfast time that not everyone in our industry <laughs> does. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that on the 26th of May. Uh, guys, how do people follow Deeds on social media if they want to keep up to speed with all of the Deeds gossip? Just Deeds Bruin on Instagram or Deeds Bruin on Facebook. Um, I think we've just got a – we might have a TikTok. Don't quote me on that one. Have a look. I won't. I won't. Search Deeds Brewing on TikTok. And if we're no, there, I don't have TikTok. No, I was, I was going to say, you know, I don't want, you know, having been in lockstep with the Australian federal government on matters to do with, you know, the economic environment in which we currently operate, uh, I feel like we're deviating from their stance on TikTok. But let's, uh, let's go and check out, sign up, subscribe to uh, the Insta, subscribe to the Facebook and keep up to date with everything deeds. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today on the show and we look forward to seeing you in the flesh in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, thanks so much. Happy days. Really, really nice to be here with you again, Dave. Well, here we are. We're continuing with our Good Beer Week uh, Super Spectacular number three. Uh, great to be welcoming another old friend back to the show, uh, it, Hugo uh, from Local Brewing. It feels like only days since we last spoke, and there's a reason for that. It's because it is only days <laughs> since we last spoke, and I didn't press record last time we spoke. Welcome back, brother. Thank you. Pleasure to be back um, as many times as you'll have me on. That's fine. One-on-one -on -one interviews uh, with no audience is, is still appreciated. <laughs> 
Well, the exciting news, at least from my perspective, is I felt so guilty about having made that mistake that in the meantime, I've gone out and visited the brewery so we can now speak uh, with some authority uh, when we discuss all of the good things that you can do to welcome people uh, out to your space. But let's start, mate, with a really brief overview of the local brewery story. Uh, Again, go back and check the archives if you want to hear the full episode that we've had in the past. But for those who are coming fresh to our podcast and fresh to your brewery, tell us when you started, tell us uh, what you brew, and most importantly, I think for you guys, tell us the ethos that sits behind why it is and what it is that you brew. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think it's episode 130 from memory. Oh, gee, you're good. <laughs> uh, you're doing all the work for me today. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, for those who have listened uh, to, to that episode, you'll, you'll have a bit more in-depth uh, on, on our story and our brand itself. But for a quick recap, we started four years ago now, and it was a group of mates, uni mates and, and work mates who, who got together who had kind of all developed a love for craft beer through kind of different channels. I was running um, brewery tours with Scotty from ABT there, a uh, few of us were doing a bit of home brewing. A few of us had worked at Gabs. And we all came together and we were like, hey, if we're all making a bit of beer and we love beer. How much harder could it be to start a beer company? How much harder, you uh, asked the question. What was the answer? A fair bit. <laughs> fair bit harder. Um, but we are four years in and, you know, proof's in the pudding that uh, it can be done. We've um, come a long way in four years from... Um, you know, starting out with a, a contract brew um, with Craft & Co, an XBA that we launched uh, back then in 2019. And now we've, re- I can't remember at last count exactly how many beers we've, we've made, but well over uh, 30 brews, I think, different beers. And we've got three beers in our core range now. Our XBA, old OG, still there. Um, we have a, a West Coast IPA and uh, just reduced, uh, released a new all-Australian lager uh, with a complete rebrand that's uh, just come at the same time as we've opened up um, our venue, which we'll get to that in a second, but I think a a key part of um, the brand is our ethos from very early days that if we were going to create this this beer and this story and this this company that had to, you know, had to give back, had to be something more than just, just making beer. Uh, and so very early on, we partnered up with Second Bite, a fantastic organization that deals with food insecurity and food waste, and they get food out to people who need it, really. And so through our partnership, um, we had an agreement that for every pint and pack of beer that we sold, we were able to donate enough money to Second Bite that they can then provide a meal to someone in need. So that's just ticked over to 200,000 meals um, earlier this year, and um, that's, yeah. a, that's a huge, that's a huge number of meals. When you actually stop and think about it, it's one of those figures we sort of get used to, sort of hearing hundred thousand this or you know whatever a million that. But two hundred thousand meals is a huge contribution. Yeah, it's it's amazing, it's incredible, and you know we can't thank Second Bite enough for the people you know on the ground making it happen. You know we're just uh, a few. You know, dollars and cents uh, over the course of the the journey from every you know case and pint that um, you know keg that it's 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 kind of baffling. You're right until you kind of sit down and, and process it. Um, but we're really excited to continue with that that partnership and and see how how hard we can go. 
Well, you've got partnerships happening all over the place. Uh, we're going to talk at the venue in a moment, obviously, but the other thing that was very prominent at the venue the other night was some packaging associated with the uh, Melbourne Victory. Yeah, that's right. So we've uh, come on board as the uh, an associate sponsor and um, drinks and beer sponsor of, of Melbourne Victory. Uh, we created a beer just for them. So that's uh, easy drinking, lawnmower beer, uh, Kolsch or Victory Draft, as we've called it. And that's, uh, we were able to have that given at, at the Melbourne Victory functions, at, uh, at the women's matches in particular. We're down there selling the, the cans of beer and selling slabs and uh, through Boozebud and through our online partners, um, a few venues as well. Yeah, it's been a, a fantastic relationship. And um, sort of how does the approach to that beer, the easy drinking beer, how does that fit with what you try to do when you brew, I guess is the obvious question. Is that sort of the same approach that you bring to your to your other beers? It is, it is. We've, we've always been a brand that wanted to create beers that our, our friends who are you know, fellow craft beer lovers could get a lot out of, but at the same time we couldn't alienate people like our parents, you know, our dads who grew up on the mass-produced pale lagers, um, you know, throughout their lives. So our beers have always tried to hit that mark of being quite sessionable, accessible to, to the wider market, but at the same time, you know, give enough flavour and interest for, you know, the, the craft beer connoisseurs. Um, certainly our specialty beers, seasonal beers, we play around with those flavours a little bit more. Uh, so, you know, Floating a little little teaser for our Gabs beer, a, a cinnamon scroll pastry stout coming up that'll certainly hit the mark with the weather turning, um, and uh, teaming up with uh, we'll, we'll jump we'll jump ahead to uh, our good beer week or pint of origin um, rather uh, territories. Yeah, absolutely. So pint of origin, just for people who might be listening in who aren't familiar with it, is the idea that different venues will have. A feature, whether it's a feature country or a feature state in Australia, um, which state or country are you going with? Uh, we're with the territories this year, so representing um, ACT and Northern Territory, and Ben uh, spoke in particular, as well as Capital. Um, we headed up there last week and uh, able to, to to chat through a few things and activations and beer itself. So we're brewing, or they we just brewed a. A Belgian red IPA uh, with uh, with Ben spoke, so that's going to be a really interesting interesting brew that will serve exclusively at that uh, at our tap room uh, for their uh, tap takeover. And uh, what other beers are you going to have on tap out there at the same time? Is probably the obvious question to ask. Yeah, well, right now, if you were to arrive to the tap, well, actually, our question back at you: Dave, what <laughs> uh, what did you have when you were there, mate? Well, I was uh, out there catching up with a good mate who's about to um, start his own podcast. Watch this space for some ads on uh, that front. So just like you suggest, he's probably not the most adventurous of all drinkers. So we kicked off with the XPA, uh, and that was just drinking beautifully on a Sunday night. Um, I guess it was sort of 6, 7 o'clock when we wandered in. Um, I mean, should say, I mean, I, I know I'm digressing from your question, but a really nice, warm, welcoming space on a autumn, winter's early sort of night in in Clifton Hill. Where did where people find the venue? Yeah, it's three Hilton Street. Uh, if you Google the local brewing co tap room, or give us a follow on uh, Instagram in particular, local brewing AU is our master account, but local brewing 
au underscore tap room will get you to the, the tap room details and we yeah we, we teamed up with um a few designers and people who know a bit more about putting a venue together and um the big focal point which i'm sure you would have seen is a, a big mural on the wall and um colors that are really designed to be inviting um uh, our, our new kind of brand refresh for what you want to call it is then displayed on the wall and you know terracotta colors and greens and um it's uh, indoor plants it's a space that you can certainly um sit down and have a, a few responsibly uh <laughs> and lose a few hours it's got a like it's obviously really fresh and new but it's a very warm and welcoming space it doesn't sort of feel cold or stark um I was really surprised by how much space you've got upstairs. I know that hasn't all come online yet, but um, it's only when you're sort of physically in that space that you realise you've got a lot of capacity up there to put people at some stage. Yeah, well, that's that's a plan. We kind of had to open this in stages. So we, I'm sure you would have noticed when you were there, a bit of space downstairs that will be the brewing equipment that's um, hopefully coming in very shortly. Uh, we'll start brewing uh, beers exclusively for the tap room and then the upstairs area, which wasn't, an office that we uh, demolished over the course of a weekend is now uh, just an open space, a bit of work being done by uh, our sales team and uh, ourselves up there at the moment. But eventually that will become more of a function space. You can imagine having, you know, 30, 40th birthday with a few of your best mates um, up there. A 50th even, depending 50th, on how. You know. 50th, 70th. You know, if you're over 18, you're more than welcome to come down no matter your age. Uh, and we should say as well that also little cafe set up in the in the front window there, um, so that you can come and visit the space any hour of the day or night. That, like yeah, not four uh, o'clock in the morning, but <laughs> seven seven's the earliest that we open. Greater good coffee is the the arm of that business. And yeah, being uh, well, the, the the big issue when we moved into that space was we were a long walk from the closest coffee, and uh, being the caffeine addicts <laughs> that we are, thought uh, kill two birds with one stone here. We'll We'll set up a tiny little temporary kind of coffee setup that uh, was used by uh, ourselves as much as uh, the local residents. And we really decided to keep on that. It's a good way to kind of activate that, you know, part of our business and hours that we, we otherwise would be, you know, shut. It's a, it's a pretty strange thing to be uh, in Melbourne and not within a quick strolling distance of caffeine, but I admire your good work in, in setting that up. Um, I obviously digressed from your question to me, which was what I was drinking, so obviously I had the XBA. Moved on to the Talus. Uh, that was really nice as well. Um, and I did notice some pretty fancy-looking Hawker's beers there. I couldn't quite justify it on a school night, but some pretty um, some pretty amazing brews from them in there too. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we've got 12 taps at, the, at, at current, and three of those taps we have guest taps at the moment. So Hawker's, um, we've got their... I'm going to get the name uh, wrong, but it's a, a an orange um, IPA uh, that's in there, and uh, beer from Burnley, a Bison, and um, ooh, we might have just changed over the last one. You'll have to; it'll change by the time you've listened to this uh, <laughs> podcast, anyway. And then uh, we've got our own beers, so our three core range beers: the Victory Draft on there as well, the Talus, which is our hop that we're heroing, the Talus uh, West Coast IPA uh, in that one, and our Nitro Jam Stout, a lower ABV, 4.5%. Uh, I think the Stout was out when I was there on the Sunday night. And uh, good good yeah. to see the team had, had decided, and I think it's entirely sensible, not to open a new keg on a Sunday night, <laughs> so that's one to look forward to, to people coming along. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a few seltzers as well. I believe you. I didn't venture into the seltzers just to keep my cred with the uh, with the many listeners out there. <laughs> uh, we touched on the point of the point of origin, um, and obviously for Good Beer Week, you've got an event as well. What's planned for Good Beer Week? We do. We wanted to bring in some people to our venue and have a little bit of fun with them. So we have beer flavor bingo that is happening. This is a kind of unique idea from us to uh, have punters come in on a Tuesday night, Tuesday the 23rd, and we'll have beers that we've laced or spiked. That sounds a bit evil. uh, It's all above board, don't worry. You've got to listen to the, don't turn off now, listen (laughs) to the end of the sentence. Uh, With a range of flavors, good and maybe not so good. Um, And the the job for, for our punters is to try and identify what those beer flavors are. So I know we've got probably a lot of people here who are quite adept at you know, getting their nose into a beer and taste and identifying maybe common faults with beers or, or certain hops that are used. Uh, this one, they'll certainly get a lot out of this, but also for those who maybe aren't the biggest beer drinker, but maybe can work out if uh, raspberry flavour is, is present in a beer. It's uh, it's all designed to be a bit of fun. Maybe the jelly belly belly, <laughs> jelly belly <laughs> beans are getting popped out as well. Uh, there'll be a few other games and prizes and uh, yeah, all designed to be a little bit of fun. Well, I think you know your market very well here. We have a, a very large cohort of listeners with some expert taste buds, uh, not just expert taste buds, but taste buds that they love to show off, rightly so. So if they're out in uh, that, I think it sounds like an excellent event. Is there a particular day and time that people should be planning to come? Um, for this event, absolutely. Yeah, it's the 6pm on the 23rd of May is, uh, is that uh, beer flavour bingo event, uh, Pine of Origin, as we said, uh, running for that week. And then uh, we're open from Wednesday through to Sunday, the tap room for the rest of uh, the rest of the year at the moment. And, um, yeah, from from 4 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and, and from midday from the other days of the week. Look, I can genuinely personally vouch for the venue and uh, the beers. Uh, a great spot to go if you're out in that part of the world. As we know, there are a whole lot of other beer events happening out in uh, Clifton Hill, Collingwood and related suburbs. Uh, so if you're out there for Good Beer Week, make sure you pop in. Um, Hugo, how can people keep up to date with all the local Brewing Co information uh, and updates? Where do they find you on the socials? Yeah, great question. Well, um, the Instagram, for all you Instagrammers out there, I think we've, we just mentioned earlier, local brewing AU and local brewing AU underscore taproom will be the best uh, best way to get a hold of us there. Websites uh, as well. From there, you can join our mailing list. That's a really good way to, to keep in contact with uh, fresh brews and what we're putting out. And, um, yeah, follow on Facebook as well and jump into the venue itself. Come say hi. <laughs> Come try some of uh, the beer straight from the taps. Awesome. Look, Hugo, thank you for coming on the show for the second time in about four days. Um, your patience with me is hugely appreciated. Always appreciated. Always happy to be part of uh, the cool room and um, can't wait for the for the next time and hope to see, uh, see you at the venue or Good Beer Week or, uh, you know, otherwise. Awesome, mate. We will see you soon. Beautiful. Well, here we are. We're enjoying our Good Beer Week Super Spectacular number three uh, and very much a favourite brewery of the podcast, very much a favourite brewery in the Melbourne beer scene. We're going to be talking to Hop Nation. We've got Sam on the line here. Sam, how are you today? 
Uh, good, David. Yeah, yeah. Good to um, start to chat about what is one of the the most exciting weeks of the year in, in Melbourne for, for beer and, and otherwise? For beer and otherwise. We'll talk beer and we will talk otherwise, mate. Uh, you've obviously been on the podcast before. The brewery is uh, Check out their archive if you want the full Hop Nation story. But if for some reason you've never heard of Hop Nation before, that probably means that you're Heinrich who's listening from Norway rather than anyone who lives in Melbourne. But for anyone who's never heard the Hop Nation story before, Sam, can you just give us the potted history? Um, sure. So Hop Nation began um, in 2014. Um, Duncan and myself um, previously were making wine around the world and beer was a bit of a side project. And from 2015 onwards, we kind of um, focused what we were doing and beer became more than just a hobby. And um, closely following that, in 2016, we opened the brewery and tap room in Footscray, um, where we've been based ever since. And now we um, both have that brewery and tap room and, and a production brewery in Mornington. So um, there's been a bit happening over those years, but um, beers and um, hop-driven beers have been our focus, as well as a few other side projects that um, listeners may have come across over the years. It's been a f talk about a few other side projects. You've got more side projects than any other brewery in Melbourne, I reckon. So you're, um, you've returned to the world of, world of wine, amongst other things. Yeah, yeah, we, we do make some wine and, and we have a still at Footscray now. So we're um, having a bit of fun making some spirits as well. And um, for I was lucky enough to go out and visit the Footscray site last weekend with my large hoof-headed dog. We will talk more about him and what he did out there in a minute, but um, there's some changes coming to Footscray, I believe. Yeah, we've, we set that up in 2015 and, and have the, the brewery side of things has evolved and changed. Um, the hospitality offering has kind of ticked along and we decided last year that we'd put some plans in place to just give it a bit of a facelift and make it more comfortable um, for visitors and, and the offering and, and, you know, maybe change some of that furniture that you know we built um, ourselves um, so many years ago so it's it's um, something we've been planning for a while and this year is um, um, one of um, the opportunities to kind of give back to the community and, and have something that's you know for the longer term there's, been, there's a lot of um, roadworks and bridges and new parklands getting put around us so we kind of you know evolving the brewery at the same stage. Uh, again, you are the master of, of understatement. By roadworks, you really mean that there's a giant tunnel being bored under the bay or something, you know. Yeah, there's, um, there's, a, tunnel, yeah, there's a tunnel going under um, Yarraville and that pops up into a giant bridge that will go um, over the Maribyrnong just at the back of us. Um, so, yeah, the landscape's definitely changing, but, um, you know, as part of that, everything else around us is going to be parkland and bikeway. So, um, you know, I think in the long term, it's going to be a pretty nice place at the moment. It's a um, dusty construction site, but you know, we'll deal with that now. Well, it's, uh, it's always nice to pop out there. If people haven't visited the brewery before, you've probably got a very limited amount of time to see it in its original state before you go through the process of, of uh, doing, uh, doing your new works. You don't actually have any events on at the brewery as part of Good Beer Week. I think I'm right in saying, but you do have a couple at other locations. 
The first one we might talk about is the terminus in uh, Fitzroy North, Clifton Hill, depending on what you'd rather uh, describe it. North Fitzroy, even, um, is having their one-night keg stand. I think we've discussed that on our previous two episodes of the Good Beer Week, super special, spectacular. Um, but this is one I think you've done before. You've got some experience of what the terminus is not is like, yeah? Yeah, yeah. The terminus has um, always been a great supporter of Good Beer Week, and we've enjoyed the events over the years. Um, this year, the um, the one night stand, you know, it's a good opportunity for. We usually take the team down and have a few too many drinks and get involved in trying to kick our keg. And there's a lot of industry and brewers and and punters as well that you know enjoy the offering. And I mean, the terminus now is um, quite different to the terminus of a few years ago. So there's you know some some great parts to it now that, you know, it's not just a drinking hole. Um, it's always good to have feed there as well. Uh, absolutely. Do you know what beer you're going to be taking there? That's a good question. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be what I didn't ask at the very beginning, uh, which I should have done when we were talking about uh, your venue, is, is what you've got on tap at the moment, and I've got a pretty good insight into that, uh, but also, you know, aside from your core range, which you're famous for, what are your favourite ones that um, of the limiteds which you've got kicking around at the moment? Um, yeah, the tap room, we always have 15-odd beers on tap. At the moment, I'm really enjoying the two fresh hot beers that we've released. Um, we got the um, Galaxy Fresh Hot Pig. It was about two months ago now from... Um, the Victorian HP8 fields, and, and we tried a few different techniques this year and um, been really happy with them. And the two, I mean, it's the same hops, but we split it across two batches, one being a hazy IPA and one being um, a clear, more um, traditional, I guess, IPA, um, but using the same base fresh hop. So, you know, just looks at how fresh hops act in a hazy and a normal IPA or stand IPA. Um, but they're both just looking really good. And that fresh hop for me, it's just, a, you know, once a year, a little bit of excitement, something a bit different. And, um, you know, the mouthfeel that you get from these fresh hops is, is quite unique. And, I mean, I enjoy the celebration that goes around it as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we didn't do any events in the tap room this year because the when we did book it in, we thought we might be shut down for construction, which um, we are a little bit but we um, just shifted our event to um, our other venues. But, yeah, we will um, endeavour to, to have something bigger and better next year there. Well, the other bit that I've been enjoying from yours, and this is where I'm going to embarrass myself, I normally don't set myself up to look a bit silly, but last night I enjoyed both the falling leaves and the fallen leaves, one of which is, uh, I believe, from your good selves and one of which is from our heads at Friends at Bonehead, and I can't remember which one's which. Okay, yeah, well, I do know ours. Yeah, Fallen Leaves. Yeah, that's um, you know we've we've always we've made a red IPA called the the Buzz for many years, and um, usually this time of the year when the Buzz, you know, it's that autumn weather where it's not quite stout weather, and it's you know the, the um, pilsners are kind of not as inviting in this cooler months. And this year we just um, wanted to give it kind of a souped up version of the buzz with some you know, slightly different techniques and different hops. But um, yeah, the, 
I think the the hoppy red ale is a is a great style and often understated in the market, but um, everyone that does get behind it, you know, is quite passionate about it, and you know, we are as well. Well, both were delicious, I have to say, but yours, yours obviously, in particular. Oh, that's good. Now, in terms of creatures in my um, household, yeah. creatures in my household and what they're finding delicious, uh, the main reason for visiting Hop Nation for us last weekend was so that Lionel, my large English setter, could experience your dog beer. And that is really going to be the feature uh, of your Good Beer Week event, I think I'm right in saying, or at least that's what the Good Beer Week website tells me. Uh, So Hop Nation, Dog Nation, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got planned for the afternoon of Saturday the 20th of May. Um, yeah, so Dog Nation's been, we've been running a form of it for the last few years and Footscray's always had a resident dog population from, from our locals and, and visitors. Um, so this year we kind of just wanted to suit that up and have a, have a really good day where people can bring their dogs, have a beer, um, you know, hang out. For the BS, which is um, a, yes, a special beer made for us, but um, it's, it's based around a bone broth that the dogs can enjoy as well. Uh, dog wash and dog snacks, and um, Dingo ate my taco. Getting some food for the punters as well. So that will be at Zymergy in West Footscray. Um, from 12 till 9 on the 20th. And, um, yeah, so anyone that's round, bring your dog down, um, enjoy a beer for you and, and your pup. And, um, yeah, we'll have some, some different giveaways and a um, little bit of excitement in the, in the beer garden at Zymergy as well. And I, I think I'm right in saying that's free entry, so it's not that people have to pay or anything like that to get in the door, which is always a, a little bit of a bonus. Uh, and um, runs all afternoon, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it runs all afternoon into the evening. So um, pretty, um, there'll be some drink specials and and some specials for your um, couple of local vets to chat to as well. And, um, yeah, we'll have some some games and some different things to, to make a day of it. But, um, yeah, it's it's something that we, um, we enjoy dog beer that we've made the um, all the dogs are on the front are staff dogs so um you know they're they're regulars at the brewery and regulars at um the staff event so we're, we're all for, for the dogs and awesome mate we're having a couple of little problems with your bandwidth and video there but that's all right and let's wrap things up at that point can you make sure please that you share with us Hop Nation's social links so that anyone who wants to keep up to date with the Hop Nation story can do so. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, our website um, always has our latest information, hopnation.com.au and Instagram, Hop Nation Beer. Um, you can keep up to date with what we're up to and all the events we're involved with, especially during Good Beer Week. We'll, um, our team will be out and about, so hopefully... You run into them at the different events. Um, and um, yeah, look forward to it.
Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for your time today. And we, uh, we look forward to seeing you out and about in Good Beer Week 2023. Cheers, David. Thanks, mate. Well, here we are. It's very exciting uh, here on a Thursday night, live in the cool room, Zoom room, especially when I remember to click record. Uh, we don't always remember that. We make many references to that, I feel, along the way. But it's excellent to be welcoming in our friends from Urban Alley. Uh, they were part of our quick visit out to the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival last year. Uh, I've spent the whole week referring to interviews and saying to people, go back and listen to episode something for the full story about this brewery. This is the opposite. This is going to be the definitive Urban Alley podcast that we do. Uh, it's fantastic to be welcoming both Mitchell Roberts and Dove Bailey into the podcast. Uh, don't worry about going back and checking the previous time. Don't worry about what they may have said last time. Don't worry about how they may have introduced each other last time. Imagine this is a fresh new opportunity to hear from them. Guys, it's great to have you here with us tonight. We're looking forward to tasting some beers Let's kick off with you introducing each other. Excellent. Thank you for having us. Uh, so, uh, some breweries uh, are blessed to have incredibly lovely people who are kind and generous of spirit uh, and are easy to get along with. And then some breweries are blessed to have incredibly smart, talented, driven brewers who create the most incredible beer. Uh, but few breweries are so blessed as to have both those attributes in the one person. Uh, so our head brewer, the magnificent Dove Bailey. Mate, that is, that is great. And somehow Dove looks like he's never heard that before. I can't believe how basically verbatim that was from the previous one. Did you go back and listen to the episode or something? No, I have a certain way of speaking. And when I hit a good joke, <laughs> I tend to, it just sticks. It, I, I agree. That sounds like it's almost word perfect for when we got together out in the big shed in Williamstown last year. Um, I thought about using my same gag, uh, but I'm too blown away by how good Mitch was at remembering his. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mitch, come on, give us the give us a little bit more about you know Dove, his background, how we find him uh, at Urban Alley. Let's let's unpack that a bit. We're in long form tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dove came to us, uh, he can correct me on this if I'm wrong, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Two now. Two now. Uh, came to us uh, originally from New Zealand uh, by way of uh, America, found his way back to us at almost the opportune time and has been with us uh, ever since making some pretty incredible beers and uh, being a pretty lovely bloke to hang out with on the day. Gee, pretty lovely. That, that moved a lot from the intro, I've got to say, from, <laughs> you know, the, the most outstanding oh. human being to ever walk the face of the planet, I think it's fair to say, to, you know, pretty good, pretty lovely. Look, I, I'm right. a very lucky sales rep in that I get to go into our pub every day and hang out with some, some really lovely people who are both, like, just nice to chat to about beer or anything else in life and also incredibly patient when it comes to me and uh, my personality and my terrible jokes. We'll, we'll get there. The night is young, my friend, and we've, uh, we've got many terrible <laughs> jokes and many terrible, well, many terrible things you've done in public, if my recollection is correct, but let's not spoil things too early on that front. Yeah. 
That's for a different podcast. <laughs> exactly right. Dove, explain to the listeners uh, on our podcast, explain to the thousands of people who rocked up here in the Zoom room tonight uh, what it is that, uh, that we're experiencing when we meet Mitchell Roberts, sales rep for Urban Alley. Well, saying he's a sales rep is really selling him short because his probably largest talent <clears throat> lies in being a truly excellent dungeon master. Now, we that have, can mean uh, a lot of things in these modern It can mean parts. a lot of things, but I think with the resurgence of the popularity of Dungeons & Dragons recently, I think it's we're safe to assume I'm referring to the game. Um, has, has there been a resurgence? It was, I must admit that's passed me by, but that's okay. Oh, they even released a blockbuster film just recently. Oh, I did hear about that, actually. There you go. So you have heard about the resurgence. Yeah, no, you're right. That's fair call, absolutely. Um, so... Mitchell's very good at convincing people to buy the beer. Very good at uh, killing his party in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> and also a very good uh, stage production manager for musical theatre, which is a pretty unlikely combo. Uh, I, I, I think, think a lot of people might agree. I am I an unlikely that's... human being. I think that sets the tone very, very nicely. Uh, hopefully we don't encounter a gelatinous cube at some point during our beers tonight. We've got three great beers lined up. We're kicking off with the Mangoes Nowhere. Then we're going to be having the Alley Dangler, and then we're going to be moving on uh, to the Moonbeam uh, Hazy IPA. Before we get on to those, who would like to give us a bit of the Urban Alley, just sort of the broad brushstroke story, when the brewery started, and what the ethos is, because you guys have got a really sort of particular view of how you um, how you want to operate as a business as well as a brewery, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we've been around about five five years now, four or five years. Uh, started as uh, a, a couple of home brewers that were talking about starting a brewery, and then also the pub that uh, one of our or our owner owned down in Docklands that shut down for some refurbishments some refittings. And while it was closed down, they went, well, let's see if we can make some beer of our own and turned out they made a pretty good beer. Uh, so we've been, we've been around for a little while now. We, we tend to have a focus on both in our beers and in our production, a couple of different things. We really believe in trying to be as sustainable as possible. So minimizing our waste where we can being as effective in the way that we use our ingredients. So basically every drop of water in our brewery gets used twice. Uh, and sustainable in our packaging, sustainable in the way we approach things. Uh, sustainable in that there's only one of me. <laughs> uh, but also when it comes to our beer, we focus on being as drinkable as possible. We're not crazy flavors and insane beers. We are beer for people who enjoy drinking beer and don't want to have a degree when they do it. Look, that's a that's a great description. Gives us a feeling of uh, of when you started. Melburnians will know where Docklands is, but we obviously go out around Australia. We go out around the world. So, give us a bit of a feel for poor old Heinrich over there in Norway, who struggles to understand Australian geography about where the Docklands site is. And um, and I guess just touch on other sites that you're either in the process of opening, have opened, or are looking to open because you're pretty ambitious in that regard uh yeah yeah i guess we are uh docklands for anyone not in melbourne is the dock area of melbourne it's uh, just outside the cbd uh 
sort of just to the west, southwest of, of uh, the central business district. Uh, it's, a, it's a good little area. We've been around there for, for a long time and we quite like it. Uh, but we've just recently, in the last 12 months, opened up our second and our third venue. Uh, so we opened up our second venue at Knox Ozone out in Montana, which is in the uh, further eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, and then just very recently opened up uh, UA Brewing Co. at Chadston, the fashion capital, uh, the shopping centre out in the southeast of Melbourne. You almost did that with a straight face. I did. Very nearly. So, so again, for people outside of, uh, of Melbourne, what we're talking about there is probably the, some of the major shopping centres uh, yeah. through, through the area, and that, that informs or I guess that explains a little bit about the ethos of what you're trying to do in terms of where you position uh, your venues. Uh, and that's part of what we'll explore tonight is which beers and why do you brew them and how do you brew them. But, you know, it's a very different model, at least in Australia, for how to approach where to put venues. Sort of, yeah. It's Our attempt is to try and put our beers as close as possible to people who want to drink them. Um, I'm often of the feeling that I would rather not. I would rather not have a bar in Brunswick because there are a thousand craft beers in Brunswick, and that's a fight that I don't really feel like getting in a competition with. But in some of the areas we are looking at, they're places where people don't have access to really cool and interesting craft beers. Where you know our Knox venue is pretty close to where my dad lives, and for most of my childhood, he didn't touch a craft beer because there was no no one nearby. There was no one providing that option. So putting putting a, a easy, drinkable, independent beers where there aren't that many options gives us a different market to play to. It, look, it makes perfect sense. And I think it's, it's really indicative of a, a genuine business plan. A whole lot of breweries, a whole lot of hospo people say they have a business plan, but really when you unpick it, it's a bit like the underpants gnomes from South Park. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, step one, open bar, step three, make profit. But it's not entirely clear what step two is. There's, there's a clearly a plan and a process in how you guys are approaching things. Yeah, and also Dean Grant, who who is our owner, has a long history in hospitality. Um, most of the people within our within our company have a lot of hospitality experience, so running venues is things we're really comfortable doing. Uh, and there's also the side effect that one of the long effects of the COVID pandemic has been a lack of tap diversity uh, in Melbourne. That a lot of uh, contracts have been signed up with some of the bigger breweries uh, who we're not going to mention here for the sake of uh, keeping this fun. Yeah, and, and not getting sued because not exactly. getting sued is, is uh, fun. Absolutely. So a lot of those contracts are still in play. So a lot of, a lot of venues that would have had tap freedom uh, three or four years ago no longer have it. So part of trying to get our brand out there, we sort of went, well, there's not a lot of taps around. Let's make our own. Absolutely right. Makes perfect sense. And I've got to say that in the in the chat here in the Zoom, a great reason to join us on a Thursday night, uh, everyone is now asking, but I'm going to ask my own personal version of this question, which is, when are you coming to High Point? Uh, everyone else wants to know, when are you coming to every other shopping centre that they live near in Melbourne? But, you know, is there a plan for more? Is this a model that seems like it's working? 
Uh, I have to be very careful how I answer any of these business questions because I have to see our mar- marketing manager tomorrow and I will get shot if I say the wrong thing. That's okay. Uh, it's it's okay. No, hang on. It's, that's fine. It's a good answer. It's, uh, if they're listening, it's, hello, Linda. Hello, Bruno. I'll do my best to say the right things. It's, um, it's 6.49 at the moment. Can someone remind me at about 7.49 to ask that question again after we've had another couple of cans and we'll, we'll see whether we get a little bit closer to the truth, I reckon. If, if a red dot appears on my chest, uh, then know that I've done my best. Uh, the, short, the short version of the answer is I believe at the moment we're sitting, sitting pretty with the three. Uh, it's been a, a long, hard struggle to get the other two venues up, particularly in the current financial economy. Uh, I think given enough time, we'll start looking at some more because, uh, as I say, running venues, running hospitality is in the blood of a lot of people in our, in our company and uh, it's nice to have more people in the company involved. I think that's but, actually a really uh, good point that Mitch makes about that is that I came from hospitality, Mitch came from hospitality. Basically anyone in any role at our, any of our venues can have come from hospitality at any time. It's pretty ingrained it's ingrained but it isn't, that isn't always the case in 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 beer companies and um particularly ones that are in the process of starting up so i think it's really interesting that you have that background and as mark in the chat says if there's no it background then you know that's a that's again a remarkable thing that's our our ongoing joke that everyone seems to come from it land um, we could use something like that actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, I'm doing a bit of a Warren Woo here and drinking my first beer. Um, it's so smashable and delicious. I, I want to actually discuss it while I've got it in the glass. So tell us what we should be experiencing here with the mangoes nowhere, uh, or man goes nowhere, depending on where you place the emphasis in those syllables, uh, the mango and passion fruit sour. Well, I always find it funny describing fruit beers because what you're getting is fruit. And the fruit's listed on the label. Um, obviously, it's a kettle sour uh, with just boatloads of mango and passion fruit, enough to give it a good amount of acidity without being overbearing. Um, I think it's a pretty full-flavoured kettle sour. A lot can be pretty light. This one is a little bit higher in alcohol as well. It's about 5%. Um, and it's a somewhat modelled on a goza, like a... More more wheat berry kind of thing. So it's fifty percent wheat. Also has German ale yeast as the primary yeast. So it's uh, got its its roots in some old school beer, but it's definitely a very modern sort of fruit forward kettle sour. I've got to say that for me, the passion fruit is coming through a bit more than uh, often is the case when we have a mango and passion fruit beer. That's a good thing from my point of view. Sometimes you see those. Uh, those two fruits listed on a beer, and really all you get is the mangoey bit. Um, is that something you were conscious of when you were putting together the recipe and the and the beer, or is that just a bit of luck as how it turns out when it comes out of the can? Well, so the fruiting ratio is just equal parts, but I think um, passion fruit's really potent. You know, like especially even if you look at the sugar content when you get them in. Um, it's just crazy how much sugar is in the passion fruit compared to any other fruits that we get. Um, and I think that just translates. And it's also that it's really like, you know, passion fruit's got that very top heavy kind of high end note, which you really get on the nose. And then maybe the mango is more present on the palate. It's a bit more rounded. It's a, it's a beautiful beer to, to kick us off tonight. Um, 
Is there a reason why you chose this one out of the six pack of beers that we had? I mean, we've got other beers, we've got lagers and other things in there, but but why was this one the the choice for first? Is it because it was in your fridge already, Mitchell? Because Mitch my likes favorite it. beer <laughs> isn't really. So why yep. is it? Yeah, no, tell and tell us why. Uh, I I love sours. Sour beers are my favorite things, and I when I'm at beer festivals, I usually go and sample a few. And one of the things I love about this beer is that a lot of times I'll drink a sour and it's very sour and it feels like the brewery's gone, oh, well, this is a sour beer. Let's dial the sour up to 11. Uh, But it has the same effect of like drinking very hot tea or coffee and it kind of burns your tongue and you can't taste anything else other than the sour. Uh, Whereas I find with our our Mangoes Nowhere, the sour's dialed down just enough that you get the rest of that flavor through. It's balanced so beautifully that you get the sweet and you get the fruit and you get the bitter and you get the sour. Uh, and I find it to be just an enormously easy drinkable beer. And it is the one that I love the most out of everything in our range. So when we said, which ones do we want? I went, can we have the mangoes so that I can drink some? <laughs> and is this core range? Is there a core range? Let's sort of run through a little bit of that. Um, no, it's not core range. Yes, it is core range. <laughs> this is a, a topic of some consternation between myself and Dove. Uh, it is a beer that we have all year round that we don't run out of, and it is an alcohol beer. And it's this, not core range. This actually unfolded, and I know, I think you're referencing this, at the Williamstown podcast when Mitch said, yes, that's core range. And I said, no, it isn't. He said, yeah, it is. Everyone said so. And I was like, that, no one told me. And I'm the one that has I, to schedule when we make it. I had forgotten to inform Dove that we had made it a core range beer. I mean, I was just interesting whether there had been a production meeting in the last six months where this might have been sorted out, but I guess I've got my answer there. Yeah, we kind of yeah. worked it out. Now now I know to keep making it <laughs> <laughs> after that podcast. <laughs> well, it's good to know that the Cool Room has had a beneficial outcome for at least one brewery in the entire world <laughs> and the entire lineup that we've spoken to. Um, I'm really sort of fascinated in terms of when you present these beers in the venues, and for that matter, when you're going out and doing tastings, um, do you do you see a difference in the popularity of this in the venues versus in cans and uh, and out in other venues, or how does that sort of work, Mitchell? From you know, from a from a point of view, can you clarify the question for me there? Yeah, I mean, do you is this a beer that is sort of more popular, I guess, in a canned form at other venues? Or is it one that is sold that that flies off the shelves in your own venues? It tends to be more of a canned product that we sell in terms of wholesale. Um, I mean, summer we'll sell we'll sell a fair few kegs of it out to wholesale, but it's it's a very popular one in cans for people to to keep around. Uh, it's got a good design. It tastes good. It's got a fun name. Uh, it does sell particularly well in our venue, mostly because of the reasons I listed before. It's a very easily drinkable beer. Uh, and our bartenders like to recommend it. But I think also typically, typically when people are looking for sours, those two fruits are ones that they definitely jump at immediately. Yeah, and that's and what I guess also not typical sour flavours. A lot of beers sit in the same kind of like pineapple or uh, kiwi apple or those sort of things that become the standard sour and the mango passion fruit. It's a little more common now than it was when we first brewed it, but it's uh, it's it's a little funky. 
And that's, I guess, the, the question was sort of aimed at sort of driving that question of, I guess, do you see two different audiences for the brewery in one sense? You know, is there an audience uh, at the venues that you're running and a different audience uh, that's buying, you know, through bottle shops and, and through the other venues that you sell to? Or not so much? It's a genuine question out of interest. A, a little bit, yes. One of the things we find a lot in the, particularly in our brew pub, is that this is a beer that gets... Uh, that gets drunk a lot by people who don't like beer. So we'll have people that will come in and say, oh, look, I don't really like beer that much. Can I just get a wine or a soft drink or a spirit or something? And, and me or the bartenders will go, well, hang on, give this a try. Because I, I have this theory that Australian beer drinkers, for the most part, if you say beer, they think of one of four or five brands and, and people think that beer is this and beer is, where's my friend? Beer is this. Uh, and I like using the mangoes as a really good example of going, beer can be so much more than a bitter lager. Good, uh, good so we find, we find that in the pubs particularly, people are, this is the beer they try to see whether maybe they like more than just the stock standard beer they think, uh, they, think they dry, think they, think they tried. And I guess the sort of the follow-up question as we start to think about the next beer being the Alley Dangler, which is going to be the smoked amber uh, lager, you know, which of the beers are you design, have you designed specifically for sort of those more, you know, mass consumption, easy drinking, and which are you trying to educate uh, people about when they approach craft beer for the first time? This might be the first sour, for instance, that many people actually try. Yeah, I mean, I think... Probably most of our limited series, I mean, it's hard hard to say when you come from, you know, being in the beer community for so long, but I, I think most of it's pretty accessible. Like even all three of these beers, obviously people might have never had a smoked beer, never had a sour. They probably have had a hazy IPA, to be fair. But, you know, I think with those styles of beer, if you can get over the mental barrier, then it's totally easy to drink. And is there a way, Mitchell, when you're sort of encouraging people to experience these beers where you, what have you got to do to push people through that mental barrier? Because, you know, I've run pubs and things in the past and I've spoken to people who just, you know, their, their line is, give me the thing that tastes most like draft or give me the thing that tastes most like uh, Corona. Um, yeah. They say that a lot more than they do now, admittedly, but, you know. Oh, they still say it a lot. <laughs> that's one of the common things I come up against is just give me a beer that tastes like beer or the one that I hate the most is uh, I don't want that beer with flowers in it mm. yeah we which, get a lot of that which beer is water and flowers that's all it is uh, look that, I mean, that, does, I sound, that find... does sound like the kind of thing that would get you into, the fi- into a fight at the right bowls pub <laughs> the, Dove and I will often have this exact exchange in beer festivals at about eight o'clock at night, right towards the end. Uh, with it is very easy. I realized when I, you know, being a craft beer bartender for a long time, initially I went through the phase of like explaining to people like, oh, well, you know, you could love this and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then after I was like, if someone comes up and says, I want a beer that tastes like beer, I can pull them a beer, not even tell them what it is, charge the money and then they, it's done. It's so easy. <laughs> Uh, but to answer your question, usually when I'm talking and trying to get someone past a mental barrier, 
Uh, I just, as a person, speak a lot in analogies and comparisons. So I'll talk about, with the mangoes, no, I'll talk about it being closer to almost a cider than it is a carton draft because it lets people go, oh, okay, that's close to something I've tried before. It's not that, but it gets them past that that hump of trying something different. They have a bit of a better idea of what they're about to be tasting. If I can, if I can get their mind ready to try a thing, new thing, they're less likely to have an adverse reaction to trying the new thing. Yeah, cool. That makes that makes total sense. Um, and I guess that sours are probably out there in the market enough now that people are, know how to approach them. Generally speaking, I think yeah, from what I've seen, the, the saturation of sours in the market in Melbourne is probably second to none. Like, I've you know I've worked in New Zealand and America, and even there, there's less sour beer on offer. I think Melbourne really took to it particularly. Is that right? I've I've never heard that before, and I find that really interesting. Do, do you think there's all you can get in New Zealand is hazy pale ale or hazy IPA? It's amazing. Yeah, and and Mark's put it literally. Mark's sort of put in the chat what I was going to ask, which is, do you think it's a weather related thing that you know, with Melbourne weather being what it is, very well could be. Drinking sour beer in the park is pretty good over summer. Yeah, it's good in summer, but it's 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 very approachable even in you know mid to late autumn as we are now. Like it's a beer that you know, can can pop its head up in any number of seasons pretty easily. Mm, absolutely. Every season is sour season, says Jane in the chat. I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah, I agree That's with why that. it's a cool range beer. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, look, that seems, I, I can, before we, we delve into the question of the core range beer again, and I just don't want to rip the scab off that one, <laughs> we're, let's move on. Let's move on to the Alley Dangler. Let's move yeah. on to the smoked amber lager. And I guess part of the conversation I was setting up there in talking about the sour is, you know, a lot of people are going to understand what a sour beer is. A lot of people are going to be willing to try it. I reckon just to show people a label said smoked amber lager is going to make people go, oh, hang on, there's a mental barrier. Um, talk to us how you sell this to people before they open up the can. And then uh, maybe, Mitchell, you do that bit and then Dove tell us what's in the can and describe what we should be tasting as we put our noses in and then uh, put it on our taste buds. Yeah, again, I use comparisons. So I will talk about this beer tasting a little bit like a smoky campfire or a barbecue or bacon or smoked almonds, trying to get people's minds in the right place to go, then I don't want people to get shocked by the taste of the smoke. Because if I if I don't prep them for it, they'll get shocked by it. Letting giving people a sort of lead into it, sort of easing them in to go. This is what you're going to taste. Uh, makes it a little bit easier when they give it a try. And, and I've had people who've tried this, and their eyes have done the cartoon pop out of their head, like <laughs> wow, this is so different and cool uh, and interesting. And and that's usually how I phrase this one. That this isn't a beer that you drink. Uh, when you're hanging out with your mates. This is a beer drink when you want to try something that's different and fun and you want to have a, an actual experience rather than just a draft. Ab- absolutely right. That makes total sense. Dove, take us through. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the colour of it in the glass. It's, you know, it's a, 
a lighter, richer colour than perhaps I'd expected. Uh, and then let's go through the full tasting experience. If we were sitting around at the brewery tonight with this in front of us, what would you be telling us about those uh, the beer? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you get the really nice mahogany kind of colour there. Not necessarily with any highlights, but pretty decent clarity. And the head's got just a touch of colour to it. Um, I think uh, the smoke on that, we had someone say in the chat, is a bit less aggressive than, say, a Schlinkerler. Um, Schlinkerler definitely gives you that really big um, bacon kind of flavour that you're very mm. familiar with. Um, whereas this, so we have two different smoked malts in there. Um, some of it is the best smoked malt, which is German, um, which probably lends a bit of that flavor, but there's also just a touch of, um, Voyager smoked mountain ash. Right. Um, which I think just, yeah, it gives it a little bit, it's in the name, I guess, uh, a little bit more of that sort of ashy, uh, more campfire, like Mitch said, sort of smoke and a little bit less bacon, um, which I think just adds a really nice complexity to it. Interestingly, the Schlenkler is actually where the name the Ali Dangler comes from. Uh, uh, now, I, so we, we, let's get back to this. And, and it also, I should say, for anyone who's a Schlenkler fan, go back and check out our live, uh, check, check the archives for our live show with them. Uh, that was a particularly magic one because it just started out with the sound of an oven roasting for many hours. So um, explain Ali, Ali Dangler to us for those who didn't listen to that podcast. Uh, well, yeah, well, this will actually be a story for Dove because he doesn't know this. Because uh, the Alley Dangler we first did uh, with our last head brewer before Dove got here. And I couldn't remember where the story came from. So I've had to, I had to ring him uh, last week and say, hey, can you talk me through where this name came from? Because I'd forgotten. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a reference to the Schlenkler Brewery. Oh, stumbled over that. Schlenkler Brewery, uh, which was itself named for one of their old head brewers way back in the 1300s who had a limp and he would walk around town and everyone would think he was drunk, but he wasn't. He just had a limp. Or he um, may have been drunk and had a limp. I don't think we can rule that out. may have been both, but predominantly it was, it was the limp. And they used to call him Schlenkeler, uh, which is German for uh, the one who dangles. And so Schlenkeler as it, yeah, means the one who dangles. And so the alley dangler is a reference to, to that because this is, it was a, the brewery that kind of inspired this beer back when we first did it. But you've got to admit the phrase alley dangler could be interpreted in any number of ways. I mean, it doesn't actually mean anything to the best of my knowledge, but <laughs> it, it is could disturbing. be and it has been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I just said, because the beer has been around, well, it was brewed maybe a couple of times before I started and then not since I've started until now. Um, to me, I have, don't even think about the name anymore because I'm so familiar with it. I've heard it referenced for two years at this point, so I'm like, I had no idea that it, you know, could strike as quite an odd name. Perhaps it's just... Perhaps dangling is just one of those Aussie phrases that, you know, just you, it conjures... Oh, I'm yeah. just going to move on really quickly. <laughs> I can see from the Zoom room we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, stop on this thought. Um, it's... It's a really interesting beer in terms of it is somehow both complex and simple at the same time, if that makes any kind of sense. Like you can, the more you stop and savour it, the more layers of complexity you get. 
but there's something very refreshing and clean about it, particularly for a smoked beer, compared to some of those big examples that we get from Europe and other places. Mm. And I would like to say for the record, I do love Schlinkerler. Mm. Oh, no, they're fan. absolutely one of the favourites. No doubt about that. So. But it does come back to the idea that we want to be, we want our beer to be as drinkable as possible. We don't want to put barriers between people and our beer. We want to make it as easy to drink as possible. And so that's where that kind of cleanliness comes from. Mm, that's like I said before, people may not have tried a smoked beer, but if you can get past mental barriers, this is, from my perspective, a very drinkable drink. And um, you were talking about the cartoon eyes popping out of their head before. Um, I know that in talking to Schlinkler and people who sell Schlinkler, one of the one of the big challenges is not the first sip, but it's actually to encourage people to have a the third or the fourth sip is sort of that bit where all of a sudden your palate becomes accustomised to uh, what it is that you're experiencing, and you get you you start enjoying it. Then that initial shock sort of you move past that. Um, is that an important part of the process, just to make sure that people, you know, go, no, 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 brother, have a second sip kind of thing? I guess a little bit, yeah. I will often, particularly with dark beers, I will talk about the journey from the cold beer as it warms up as you drink it. So obviously you start off with a with a colder beer out of the fridge and then the more you let it sit and the more you drink it, the more that malt starts to come through. So you actually, the third or fourth sip is a different flavor profile to the first one um so it's one of those beers that becomes almost an adventure in drinking the whole thing and dove let's well let's for both of you let's start to explore your backstories a little bit but let's do it through the lens of this beer had you made a smoked beer before this one dove that's a good question i actually don't think i had and did that present any particular challenges to you i mean when you when you were starting out as a brewer, what were the beers that you enjoyed brewing? And, you know, I guess fascinated to hear how your journey goes to get us to this point. Well, unfortunately, the making of smoked beer is quite unromantically easy because the maltster does all the work for you. you they smoke the malt and then you buy it in a bag, the same <laughs> as the rest of the malt. I mean, using, you know, using the right one and using it in the right amount is key but yeah making a smoked beer definitely not a challenge um but in terms of when i was home brewing um i was the sour guy effectively <laughs> in my old homebrew club the merry mashes who are still going strong they are shout out to the merry mashes yeah um actually me and the other brewer at my work uh also she's also an ex-masher so <laughs> bit of a thing going there um but yeah i was probably one of the pe- people experimenting with the sour stuff earlier on. This is, I guess, 10 years ago at this point um, when there was a lot less sour beer around and no one knew how to make it as well as, well, no one knew how to make it at all, really. <laughs> I was going to say as well as people in Europe, but, yeah, even they were probably still figuring out to some degree. <laughs> and were you making that as a home brewer? Because there's lots of home brewers who wouldn't dare try out sour and they get worried about they don't even understand there's different ways to make them. So can you sort of talk through your approaches back there and perhaps give people a bit of confidence as home brewers that that's the right way? Yeah, I mean, my kit in um, Melbourne, I did do sour and clean beer in. Um, managed to keep them separate as far as I could tell. Um, yeah, just using different, different, different bits of plastic and all that. Uh, separate plastic, but then um, 
when I moved to New York and I moved my homebrew set up there and had to change it up a bit, um, I was working at a brewery that sort of mainly focused on IPA with a bit of lager um, and not much sour or Belgian stuff really. So I just decided to dedicate my homebrew kit entirely to sour, funky, weird stuff and just infected everything and just ran with it. <laughs> now, does that mean you literally shipped over to New York the kit that you had in Melbourne? You just No, no, no. Sold off, sold off my kit. Yeah. We've got new stuff. And I'm... Um... I don't want to sort of put you in places where you don't want to talk about, but which breweries were you working for over there or what styles, you know, what, can you give us a bit of a feel for the New York beer scene when you were there? Um, yeah, of course. Um, so brewery I've worked at most of the time I lived there was called Interborough, Interborough Spirits and Ales, um, based in East Williamsburg, class of 2016. Uh, when, you, when you say that, was there a big class or was it just you? I'm not being smart. I don't no, know. There was, there was a big class. There was, um, seemingly New York was like quite late in the game to uh, craft beer, I think, with high rent and all that. Um, and the West Coast obviously having hops growing everywhere took to it a lot sooner. Um, so the East Coast was a pretty late bloomer in terms of breweries opening. Um, but when it did start opening, it went ballistic. And what was... Um, yeah, so, you know, what was the average night out like in sort of New York in the craft beer scene, you know, when you were there? Was it were there, was it going to breweries? Was it going to bars? Sort of where did people sort of go? Definitely a bit of both. There were some, some bars that, uh, you know, have um, a lot of clout in New York in terms of beer that people probably have heard of, like Turst. Um, it's very well-known. Um, Proletariat and Beer Street, um, all these bars are very small bars, but like just with incredibly well curated tap lists, um, you know, just excellent service, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and then all, obviously all, yes. all the breweries close earlier than the uh, bars, so you can always go to the bar afterwards. And uh, I presume it's one of those things that if you know the right bars, then you're going to run into all the brewers who knocked off a bit earlier. You know, it's Friday, so everyone knocks off at three thirty, four o'clock. Oh, definitely. If you're not hanging out in the back of the brewery drinking beer off the swickle. <laughs> now, and, and Jane in our chat is asking, and I'll ask on her behalf, you know, what's a notable New York brewery for, for people perhaps in Australia who are trying to figure out which ones we can get, not only notable, but perhaps accessible to Australian drinkers? I mean, accessible is definitely the hard part. I mean, I suppose you'd be remiss to not say other half. They are yep. um, the behemoth of New York. They took to the hoppy stuff early on and ran with it and have just done super well. Um, in terms of getting it in Australia, I don't think it really happens. I'm not sure Carl and bring it in every now and then. ridiculous price tag, yeah. Yeah, and all the air freight and whatnot. Um, but yeah, they're definitely the the big name, I would say. Yeah. In fact, when I was working at Interborough, we air freighted some beer over for a New York tap takeover to Carwin, which I used to work at. Um, and some of my friends who were working the bars sent <laughs> me the, the prices of the beer. And it was, I think, a beer that we were charging $7 a pint for was $30 a pint. Yeah. And because we love Carlton, and because I'm collaborating with them on the black box in particular, but not just that, like that's what it actually costs to get beer fresh to the country. Like, Absolutely. You don't want that beer sitting on a ship for eight weeks. There's no yeah. point. And it's not even the – and I know now know, talk about things you learn along the journey. 
It's not just the uh, eight weeks on the ship, though that's important. It's then the extra eight weeks sitting on the docks, you know, going through yeah. customs where the fridges get turned off. Like that's the bit that really kills and cooks things if you're not doing it right. All that stuff. And then obviously people understand that these air freighted beers, more likely you're going to be buying the 150 mil just to try it and see how it is. Um, but I feel like the bins like to put up the pint price just because, you know, if you want one, you can have one. That's, yep, I think there's a, there's a that's capitalism, I guess. Makes sense. Tell, tell us how the story then moves from you. You've got your own little special brew kit over there. You're knocking around there in the class of 2016, did you say? What brings you back to Melbourne? Um, well, so I was living in New York with my wife and I was my visa was a spouse of an intercompany transferee. So her company had moved us from Melbourne to New York um, that was a three-year contract. We extended it out for two more years. Um, and then in 2020, when the pandemic happened, we were set to renew our visa, or, well, actually change visas, try and go for a green card. And it just was looking pretty dire over there. So um, all that added up. And plus coming back to be a bit closer to family just made it a relatively simple choice. Excellent. Did you know you were going to come to Urban Alley when you when you left the States or was that part of a bit of a process and exploration for you as well? No, no idea. So I was unemployed. Well, actually for the second time in not too long because I lost my job at the start of the pandemic in 2020 as well. <laughs> um, yep. lost, a, lost my job at Interborough and then not too much longer picked up a job at a, a little brew pub in Greenpoint in Brooklyn called Keg and Lantern. Um, which is actually a really fun gig. It's a very little three-barrel system, so yeah, right. you're, you're making a few hundred litres at a time. You've got um, a lot of creative freedom. Um, but then, yeah, not after working there for not very long, then we decided to move back, and then I was actually looking at jobs on Crafty Pint. Right, yeah, shout out. Urban Alley came too. up. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so I knew them from back in the day and knew that was a good job listing place and... Sent out a few resumes, sent one out for head brewer being like, oh, I'll never get that. <laughs> and yeah, now, and then, uh, got the job. Uh, Mitchell, were you sitting around the table when Dove's CV was hitting the floor, or where were you at that stage? And let's talk about the way that you uh, found yourself in the, uh, in, the, in the picture here. Look, I, I would love to claim credit for making the decision to bring Dave on board. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I got a phone call from our old head brewer uh, while I was, I was in the city somewhere walking around uh, telling me that uh, he was going to leave. And then a few weeks later, they uh, they told me that this Kiwi American was going to come and join us uh, by the name of Dove. And I, I think I made some very bad Prince joke about oh. when Dove cries, it was it was not a good joke. Uh, that was the only thing I had to do with Dove's arrival at uh, at Urban Alley. Well, once again, your honesty is re- honesty is very refreshing on that front, brother. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to give some context to what it's like to put up with me on a day to day basis, uh, oh. and just what an incredible uh, patient man Dove is. <laughs> a lot of uh, eye rolling. <laughs> so then. 
tell us from your point, where did you start your journey with Urban Alley and what were you doing before that? You know, I know it's all musical theatre. I know it's... Yeah. I want to say accordion or should I be saying bass? Remind me of which... I, trombone. Trombone. I, it's, no, I... Trombone, I've got to actually say that I think if there was a continuum that started at accordion and finished with bass, trombone would sit right in the middle of that. And I've got no way of justifying it. But <laughs> uh, no, my, my background is before I got into to any of the beer industry was all theatre. I'm a, I'm a theatre kid from way back and, and still am. I still do shows uh, from, from time to time. Um, and then I found myself working at, uh, at a bar called the European Beer Café. Uh, in the central in CBD of Melbourne, which uh, unfortunately I don't think is around anymore. They've just redone it and renaming it and redoing the whole thing. Oh, uh, but I worked been there until very recently. But you might be right. I don't yeah, know. They, it was um, well prior to its current situation. It was owned by Dean Grant, who owned Urban Alley. So I applied for a, a, a job there, but just as a regular bartender. I worked there for about two two and a half years. We had Urban Alley on tap. It was the first time I came in, came in contact with Urban Alley because it was owned by the same company, so we had a couple of beers on tap. Uh, and I did a, did a lot of work for that, for that uh, bar for a couple of years. I ran a lot of their promo stuff. I made contacts with hotels and uh, corporate offices around the city, and we'd get them in and do functions and things, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, then we got the news that... that uh, Dean was was going to sell uh, the Euro to uh, the Australian venue company uh, and that he would be going off and, and staying with Urban Alley and that our general manager would go off and stay with Urban Alley. Uh, and I stayed at the at the bar for a couple of months and just found that they weren't I, – I wasn't having the same enjoyment that I was previously, uh, in part because the general manager and I get along really, really well. Uh, and without him being there, I was feeling like I'd sort of – I was but, Abbott. By get along really well, he means Becca constantly. Yeah. <laughs> in in uh, a was, fun yeah. way. I was, I was Abbott without my Costello or, or Stephen Fry without my Hugh Laurie. Uh, I'm Hugh Laurie, he's Stephen Fry. Um, they both did pretty well after the split, can I say? But anyway, do go on. They did. <laughs> they did. Uh, and so I, I reached out to him and said, hey, do you have any bar jobs at Urban Alley? I'll come and, come and hang out. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got this rep job if you're interested. And I'd never repped before. I had no idea what I was doing. But I went, oh, I'll give it a go and, and applied and was lucky enough to get the job. Uh, it was my my first ever full-time, full-contracted job that I took in December of 2019, which I timed perfectly. Because yeah, I was going to say, you really... I don't know if you remember this, but then the world fell apart. I've got a pretty clear memory of it, yes. Yeah. So it's been funny, you know, reliving the Australian Grand Prix and so forth, which for people in Melbourne Hospo was the key weekend uh, in Melbourne hospitality when we shut down and thought we were going to get an extra couple of days and didn't. So remember that time really clearly. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, so I, I came on board with, with no rep experience, just a, a big mouth that won't stop running and for... Uh, Found myself still here three years later. Uh, but there's oodles of our listeners who would love to be beer reps, uh, and many have never worked in the industry before, which clearly isn't a, a, a problem about, you know, if you're the right person at the right time, you do get the job. What were the, what were the f- couple of lessons you reckon you've learned that you wouldn't have imagined when you walked into the job? Are there things that just in terms of how you see the industry or... 
even how you see how venues run and that, you know, when you walk in, you go, oh, I can see what you need and this is how I can help you with, with your need? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, the first thing I'll say is if, if to people wanting to be reps, the, the best bit of advice I'll give is that there are two types of reps uh, and one of them is a lot more fun to be than the other one uh, and one works a lot better, at least in my experience, uh, that for me... Uh, there are there are reps who are really like really great on their beer knowledge that understand the history and ingredients and process of beer making really really well. Uh, Dove will be the first one to tell you that I am not one of those reps. Uh, I will regularly have to ask Dove to, to simplify things for me so that I can speak it. Uh, but at least you're asking, which is important. But my Absolutely. philosophy has There's always a, been a big that, bit of that. <laughs> my philosophy is always that my job is people. That's all my job is. The beer is just the conduit for the part of the job that I'm really good at, which is talking and building relationships and making connections. And that, you know, I have my clients and I genuinely care about making sure their business succeeds. And so that's the the approach that I use. If I'm going into a business and I'm looking at their beer taps, I'll be looking at what beers they have on tap. Uh, one of the things I've gotten really good at that I didn't, realize was a thing until I started doing this was looking at beers and immediately clocking who the owner is. So looking at, at 10 taps and going, oh, okay, well, I can see this contract is eight taps with this company and one tap with this company and one that I can potentially have a conversation about. But I think the best thing that I started to learn was phrasing and approaching every conversation that I'm having with my clients as to what is going to do best for them. So there are some beers that I'll go and talk to a customer and say, I think if you're looking for something along these lines, this one's going to be your right one. This one's not going to work for you. But getting good, getting good at acknowledging geographically when things make a difference. There are some beers that geographically work better in some suburbs than others or being able to clock really quickly what the clientele of a pub is or a bar. Like you can... After a while, you get pretty good at walking into a bar or a pub or a restaurant, and within about 30 seconds, you can get a pretty solid idea of what their clientele is, uh, whether it's empty or full, and being able to adapt to that and going, okay, this is a place where maybe they're going to prefer the urban dark to the alley dangler, or no, this is a place where I'm going to talk about IPAs, or this is a place where we're going to look at uh, bottles of our lager that learning how to adjust really quickly was something I had to learn pretty quickly uh, pretty early on was being able to identify and adjust very quickly I reckon that's a ripper answer gentlemen I'm loving the insights that you're providing with us tonight this is where we're going to wrap up officially uh, episode 175. We're going to have a little break here uh, in the Zoom room, and then we're going to kick off with the recording for the bit that we're going to put into episode 176. But for everyone who's listening to the end of 175, we're going to give a big shout-out to Mitchell and Dove. Uh, thank you so much for sharing those insights. I love the fact that you can walk in and recognise when a bar is full or empty. Uh, I'm very familiar with the empty ones from my own personal career. We'll come back and explore some of those thoughts uh, in episode 176.